Hello everyone, welcome back to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. Last week, you heard from Steve Schoenfeld, the author of Front Row on Death Row, who also happens to be my brother. This week, you will hear the story of Ron Burris, a convicted felon who spent four and a half years in one of the most dangerous prisons in the United States, and how he has since turned his life around into a loving husband and father. Are you ready? Let's do this! believe in prison rehabilitation? Do you believe once a felon, always a felon? Do you believe, truly believe that people can change? If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly suggest you do. Steve Schoenfeld discusses his book, Front Row on Death Row, and recants his conversations with convicted killers. My brother, Steve, was able to get into death row and converse with allegedly the most dangerous men in South Carolina because one of the parents at the school he is a principal of asked him if he wanted to join him in a ministry program at Lieber Correctional Facility. That parent's name is Ron Burris. Ron Burris has a compelling story that will pull at your heartstrings and he just may help you believe in rehabilitation. He went from drug dealer, criminal, and thief to a father, husband, churchgoer, and model citizen. When a stolen car, Ron Burris led police on one of the most infamous high-speed chases in low country history. He was shot 13 times and survived. Now, almost seven years later, Burris tells Harv Jacobs how he turned his life around after a brush with death. August 23rd, 1999. From the dash cam camera of a police car, you get a front row seat of the chase between Ron Burris and the pursuing officers. just about everything i have a so so far gone into the you know the the crack the cocaine a chase that ended with cops firing more than 40 shots at a suspect accused of using a stolen car as a weapon yeah i remember the you know the bullets and and all that stuff 13 of those bullets hit burris all over his body including his chest shoulders arms and legs What you heard in that clip were just some of the 48 bullets that were shot at Ron Burris during his six-hour police chase through and around North Charleston, South Carolina in 1999. You can see that entire four-and-a-half-minute news clip on my Facebook page at Can't Stop, Won't Stop and also on Instagram at MyLindsayAnn. Ron was five years old when he moved to Charleston with his mother, stepfather, two of his brothers, and one of his sisters. Growing up, Ron cannot remember a single time, not one time, when he felt smart or proud of himself academically. 
He spent summers in Maryland with his father, and they had a great relationship. But Ron's brothers were super jealous of that bond, and they often beat him physically and mentally. He was hurt by them in ways that Ron does not want to talk about. If Ron was to tell anyone what his brothers were doing to him, he was threatened with much more violence. At 10 years old, Ron started drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. And then he turned to theft, stealing from grocery stores, gas stations, neighbors, and pretty much anywhere. By the time Ron was in ninth grade, you guys, at James Island High School, he was breaking into cars and getting into fights on a regular basis. He was eventually charged with assault and battery, fined, and placed on probation. But you guys, none of that mattered to him. No one could control Ron Burris. When he was 16 years old and while staying the night at a friend's house, Ron was introduced to cocaine by his friend's mother. That was it for him. He was hooked. He loved cocaine and pretty much became a servant for the woman, and in return, she gave him cocaine. Not long after, at just 17 years old, Ron would join her on drug runs to the airport, and he realized, you guys, he was working for a Colombian drug cartel at 17 years old. Against his mother's wishes, Ron quit school and was living on his own. Every single dollar he earned and stole, was spent on drugs. In his 20s, Ron was imprisoned in both Maryland and South Carolina for burglary and drugs. And you guys, his specialty was robbing drug dealers, and he was extremely good at it. He did this by engaging a dealer, and then he'd ask him to get into the back seat to make a transaction. After the dealer showed them the drugs, Ron would pull a badge and yell, North Charleston Metro, don't fucking move. Ron said that then they would get the dealer out of the car and start patting him down. If he didn't do exactly what real cops do, the dealers will know you're fake and they will start shooting. Ron made sure not to break character ever. And he played that role so well. No smiling, no nonsense, or he could get killed. He would give the pushers just enough space to run because that's what they always do. So when the dealer took off running, then Ron and his buddy followed, retrieving the dope as the dealer emptied his pockets. This was a typical encounter for Ron, you guys, on a weekly basis. He sometimes had a buddy, but many times he went on his own. Ron continued to get in trouble, and the law caught up with him on August 23, 1999. Ron was 31 years old and out on bond after being charged with three counts of failure to stop for blue lights. Each count had a maximum of five years in prison. He never stopped for blue lights. The night before, so on August 22nd, 1999, a drug dealer sold Ron some bad stuff, and he was angry. And I don't mean just a little angry. He was, like, super angry. He was enraged. He was strung out, and he was dead set on getting that dealer back 
for ripping him off. Ron had been out all night. And then the next morning, he went home, got his police badge, and exchanged his wife's car that he was driving for his truck. Ron's wife tried to deter Ron from leaving that morning by slashing his tires, and she even parked her sister's car in front of his truck, blocking his getaway path. But that did not stop Ron one bit. He rammed his truck into his sister-in-law's car, and he knocked down the neighbor's fence. He then went straight to a repair shop and left his tire-slashed truck in the lot and walked across the street to a car dealership. You guys, he knew what he was doing. He chose a Ford Crown Victoria that looked like a police car. It had a V8 engine with dual exhaust. That is exactly what he needed. The salesman approached Ron and offered to ride with him for a test ride. Once behind the wheel, Ron noticed that the car needed fuel. Pull into that station and we'll fix it up, the salesman told Ron. And then this happened next. The salesman went inside to pay. So remember, you guys, this is 1999. As soon as the pump was turned on, he knew he only had a limited amount of time before the salesman returned. Ron put some fuel in the tank and took off toward North Charleston. But you guys, this time, he was now riding alone. Not long after, a police cruiser pulled up next to him at a traffic light. Ron stared at the cop, flipped him off, and drove away. That officer got behind Ron and flipped on the blue lights. However, rather than obeying the law, Ron floored the Crown Victoria and he got away, making it to North Charleston to complete his mission. Or at least try to complete his mission. He found some drug dealers in the usual places. He got some drugs in his possession, but the dealer Ron really wanted, he could not find. Needing more fuel, Ron stopped at another gas station, and while at the pump, he saw a Budweiser truck parked in front of the store. The delivery driver left the side hatch open, and Ron, of course, took advantage. He finished pumping the gas, grabbed some cases of beer from the truck, and drove back to where he bought his drugs. This time, though, he sold the beer he stole and made enough cash to buy more drugs, more fuel, and he headed for James Island to rob some drug dealers closer to his home. This worked out perfectly for him. At least that's what he thought. He pulled out his badge, they dropped their drugs, Ron collected the drugs, and moved on to the next dealer. You guys, keep in mind, this is a Monday afternoon, not a late Friday night or weekend excursion. This is what Ron Burris did on a weekly basis. So as Ron was driving closer to home, he saw a police car parked on the side of the road. Rather than just driving by, Ron pulled up next to the officer, stopped his stolen car, and said, quote, Quit chasing me before someone gets hurt. Those drug dealers ripped me off, and I'm going to get my money back. You are not taking me alive. End quote. The officer was reaching for his gun, and Ron took off. But Ron needed more gas. 
And while at the next station, an undercover officer that Ron recognized drove up. He pulled out his gun and yelled, Police! Freeze! Ron dropped the gas handle and jumped into the stolen Crown Victoria. The driver's side window was down, though, you guys, and the cop reached in, and he tried to tear the key out of the ignition. Ron panicked. He leaned toward the floorboard on the passenger side, pretending to reach for a gun that he did not have. The officer shot Ron in the stomach, entering through his abdomen and exiting near his groin. Hurt and bleeding uncontrollably, Ron put the car in gear and was shot once again, this time in his back. Ron refused to surrender. While losing a lot of blood, he kept on driving and asking God for forgiveness because he didn't want to go to hell or to prison. He was now preparing for his death. You guys, in broad daylight, driving over the Ashley River Bridge from North Charleston at 2.45 p.m. on a school day, he was in his 231st mile of his 232-mile chase that day. Ron sped past buses filled with innocent children and many more innocent people. He did not care about anyone as he sped through a busy intersection, cut the wheel sharply, and tried to flip his car wanting to end his life. His attempt failed, and the Crown Victoria left the highway, skidding to a stop in some grass in front of a church. Police cars then zeroed in on him from all directions. But you guys, Ron Burris still tried to get away. Still wounded and bleeding profusely, the police officers opened fire on Ron. Forty-eight rounds were fired at him, and twelve of the bullets pierced Ron Burris. He was taken to the hospital and spent the next five days in intensive care. Then Ron was taken to the county jail and arraigned on 11 charges. One count of assault and battery with intent to kill, three counts of assault with intent to kill, one count of assault while resisting arrest, three counts of resisting arrest with a deadly weapon, two counts of failure to stop for blue lights, one count of grand larceny. The deadly weapon that they used was the stolen Crown Victoria. You guys, Ron did not own or possess a gun. Ron appeared before a judge while laying on a stretcher, and he faced more than 100 years in prison. Ron Burris was sentenced to nine years in prison, and he served some of this time at Lieber Correctional Facility the same place that my brother visited the death row inmates. There, Ron was given an identification number and housing unit. He was no longer Ron Burris in the eyes of the state. He was prisoner 264243EA35. Inmate hierarchy, you guys, is based on individual crimes. According to Ron, those who have hurt women or children typically do not have an easy time in prison. Child molesters and rapists are often targeted for harm. But Ron's crime? Something against police? Yeah, that typically earns respect from other inmates, and he gained a lot of street cred at Lieber. 
Ron tells some of his prison stories in my brother's book, Front Row on Death Row. And ultimately, Ron chose to attend church services and began reading and following the words of the Bible. From February 2000 until March of 2001, Ron prepared for his trial. Against the advice of his lawyer, Ron declined a guilty plea. He was adamant that he did not assault or try to kill anyone. Ron is quoted as saying, quote, Two of the officers got up there and testified that I turned the car at them and tried to hit them. That never happened. I had plenty of opportunities to hurt them. I wanted to hurt the drug dealer who ripped me off, end quote. Ron went on to say, quote, I did steal a car and no intentions of returning it. I did run from the police. I did resist arrest. Those are the things I did. I admit to that, but I would not admit to anything I didn't do, end quote. The officer who Ron stopped next to and told to quit chasing him testified that Ron issued no threat and that actually Ron was rather polite. The woman from the store that Ron stole the beer testified that he didn't threaten her either. He just took the beer and left. After three days of trial and a 12-hour deliberation, Ron was found guilty of grand larceny, failure to stop for blue lights, resisting arrest, assault while resisting arrest, and resisting arrest with a deadly weapon, the car. The jury was hung on the more serious charge of assault with intent to kill, and a mistrial was declared. Ron was then sentenced to seven years in prison, running concurrently with the nine years he was already serving. Ron was encouraged by inmates to sue the North Charleston Police Department for violating his civil rights, and with his mother's urging as well, Ron followed through. Until a fellow inmate familiarized Ron with the Bible, and one verse in particular regarding the unforgiving servant in the Gospel of Matthew. After taking that passage to heart, Ron wrote the judge a letter stating, quote, You showed me a lot of mercy, and I will not be an unforgiving servant. I officially withdraw my lawsuit. End quote. As time went on, Ron Burris's classifications were lowered due to good behavior, and he was transferred a couple of times, ending up at McDougal Correctional in Ridgeville not far from Lieber. This is where he met Stephen Stanko. You can listen to last week's episode to hear a little bit more on Stephen Stanko. After getting to know Stanko a bit, Ron remembers Stephen Stanko telling him, quote, a lot of people in here claim this God stuff and they all go to church. Then they get out and do the same stuff they did before they got here. I can tell you're different, Ron. Keep up the good work, end quote. Four and a half years later, Ron was released from prison and was met by his wife and mother. Ron left prison a changed man. His plan was to connect with his church and then find a job, but finding a job was not so easy. You guys, every job application, as we know, asks if you've been convicted of a crime. So, Ron decided to start his own 
landscaping company. Staying out of trouble was not hard for Ron, and not one time did he want to take any illegal drugs. He had help from family to get the equipment he needed for his company, and he had people in his corner, and they believed in him. Ron Burris believes that a lot of guys don't have people willing to help when they get out of prison, and that's why they end up back there. Ron feels that prison actually helped him. He became very involved in his church, and he went to hospitals helping ailing members of his church. And while there, Ron reconnected with a man that worked in the prison and encouraged Ron to join their volunteer team at Lieber Correctional Facility. Ron has visited Lieber and other prisons as an asset to the ministry. He worked on the prison ministry team from 2006 until 2016. But Ron does not enjoy that anymore. He felt that most people who heard his story were too judgmental and could not relate. Ron believed that all they wanted was to hear a good story, but not gain anything from it. Ron wants to make a difference and is now focusing on helping young students stay out of trouble. They are young and need to hear it, he says. In 2017, Ron Burris asked for a pardon for his offenses. I got punished and I got put in prison and I deserved every bit of it, Ron stated after his hearing in Columbia. Spokesperson for the Department of Probation, Parole, and Pardon Services, Pete O'Boyle, said that about 65% of pardon requests are granted and that the board hears almost 800 cases a year. According to the Post and Courier, an applicant for a pardon must prove to the South Carolina Board of Paroles and Pardons that he or she is a changed person. Pardon releases a person from legal consequences of his or her crime and convictions, but it does not erase their criminal record. Employers are often more likely to consider a job applicant if they have been pardoned. The day before his pardon hearing, Ninth Circuit solicitor Scarlett Wilson said that she imagines her office will oppose Burris's pardon application. Well... On Wednesday, October 4, 2017, after a unanimous vote, Ron Burris was granted a pardon. In building a new life for himself, Ron Burris kicked his crack cocaine addiction, rediscovered his faith in God, and spent part of his time ministering to inmates. Ron spoke about forgiveness and personal responsibility at his hearing, and he stated that he will not let his community down. God has forgiven me. And so has the state, Ron said. You guys, Ron and his wife, who supported him through it all, and he vows she's the only reason he's alive and well today, have two daughters. They are what give him life purpose. And those girls know how their dad grew up. Ron is committed to teaching his beautiful daughters right from wrong. I'm trying to teach them all the things I wish I'd been taught. Ron told my brother while interviewing him for his book, Front Row on Death Row. Ron believes in forgiveness, and he strongly believes that anyone who violates a child has crushed that child's life. 
Ron knows this because it happened to him. He believes that sexual exploitation of a minor is worse than murder. Thank you so much to my brother, Steve Schoenfeld, for allowing me to use content directly from his book, Front Row on Death Row, when publishing this episode. To read Steve's eye-opening and extremely hard-to-put-down book, you can visit evepostbooks.com, E-V-E-P-O-S-T-B-O-O-K-S.com. Or you can purchase Front Row on Death Row on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, and other bookstores. Thank you so much to Ron Burris for allowing us to share your compelling story. I am so proud of the man that you have become. I feel like you are a diamond in the rough, and I'm so happy that you had the drive and willingness to make the change. I hope you now feel smart and are proud of yourself. Hold your head high, my friend. You guys, my Patreon launched. I am so excited. You guys, check it out at patreon.com slash can't stop, won't stop. That's patreon.com slash can't stop, won't stop. I am so excited to give you another outlet to help so many grieving families. There are many benefits to joining this monthly subscription, and I can't wait to see you there. More details are on my Facebook page at Can't Stop, Won't Stop, and at MyLindsayAnn on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And if you didn't enjoy it, just stay away. This is free, and it will help get awareness to the public about the injustices happening to so many grieving families. Thank you so much for all of your support. Also, check out can'tstopwon'tstop.store to purchase merchandise. You guys, that's can'tstopwon'tstop.store. I appreciate all of you. You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen. I don't have all the answers. It has been nine years since Tanner Barton was taken from all of us. And it has been four years since Brittany Bell and Egypt Covington were both taken from all of us. It has been too many years of obstacles and lies from people they trusted and from the police. It has been too many years that no family should ever have to go through. Tanner, Brittany, and Egypt. We can't stop and we won't stop fighting for you and every other victim that deserves justice. Please be sure to join our Facebook group, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, for more information, where Dwayne and I go live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Instagram at MyLindsayAnn. A huge thank you to singer and songwriter Mr. Peace for allowing us the rights to use the song, Where'd You Go?, featuring our beloved Egypt Covington. We appreciate you. Can't wait for next week.
I just saw Peyton 